and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Wow, we have made it somehow to the end of 2021. Uh, in the middle of a still raging pandemic to the end of 6A. Uh, this is Game Over Dead Name, the episode that promised answers. The final episode before the jump, the hottest, messiest mess uh, that we have yet encountered uh, in, in PLL land. And uh, just to stipulate right off the top, like, there's really no defending this. There's no defending this episode. There's no defending the choices that the show has made, uh, which were bad, which were transphobic, which were harmful, uh, which explicitly equated uh, Charlotte's transness with her villainy, uh, and which really like doubled down on uh, the reveal uh, that she was trans as like shock, gasp, horror, um, and and really you know, there, there's no excuse for that. Um, there really wasn't at the time that this episode aired. And I think now looking back on it, um, from where we are now, that is ever more clear. Oh yeah. I mean, this episode, this episode's portrayal of transness is like, feel it's, it is so regressive. It is so harmful. It is just like, Every choice that is made is wrongheaded and um, unfortunate and uh, just just like it it's a, it's a sort of skin crawlingly bad episode. I mean, it's it's also just really bad storytelling. Like this is a very badly written episode of television and it's also a very harmful episode of television. Is this the worst episode of PLL? Ooh. Oh man. You know what? I, I I think we have to say that it is. Um, which is like it, it, is it the worst? I, I mean, it is I think the most harmful. So in that way, we should say yes, this is the worst. Um, are there moments in this episode? Are there like flashes of stuff that's good? Yeah, there are a couple. Like, there are maybe, like, three or four moments this episode that I enjoy. And that might be three or four moments uh, more than we get in some of the post-jump episodes. But just in terms of, like, in terms of the level of harm, I, I think that this one, this one is the worst. Also, it's, as you said, a bad episode of television. Uh, the show has, like, we were talking about this before. In this season about the way the show interacts with the mystery and the fact that they don't let the liars actually discover anything that leads to a like this episode is basically like very similar in structure to the episode in New York where everyone is just sitting around in a coffee shop and Allison is telling them via flashbacks about everything that happened. Like, it is not an interesting structure to just have people sit or stand around, no matter how fancy the hologram screen in front of them is, uh, and have them get information that way. It's way better when the liars are actively figuring things out, such as when Spencer discovers that Mona is A, 
and such as when uh, they're making the slow discoveries that Ezra is not what he seems. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think that you've made this point, too, uh, that, like, this reveal happens because Charlotte has decided that it's time for this reveal to happen. Like, none of the investigative work that the liars have done over seasons worth of Charlotte being A really matters at all in this episode. Uh, and it's, it, you know, like part of what makes the um, Mona reveal so satisfying is that everything is kind of coming back together. And I think one of the things that is uh, like kind of amazing when you think about that episode is that there is not a single flashback. And yet, or other than I think maybe the one where Mona is describing that interaction she had with Allison. And yet it is so satisfying like it is such a satisfying reveal because of the building blocks that have been put together and then are being kind of worked upon this is like it's it's just it's just such a mess and it really is like you had made the point you know you could you could go from you know the end of the dollhouse arc basically to this episode and not feel like you were missing anything that is absolutely true uh, nothing here really sticks at all. And, and like, also what it means is that most of the dialogue in this episode is just, you know, clunky, clunky, awful exposition. This is an episode, this is an episode that has zero faith in its audience. It is hand-holding its audience across every little moment of this reveal. And by not having any faith in its audience, it's showing that it doesn't have any faith in its storytelling. I think that this episode was built anticipating that people who hadn't watched the show in a few seasons were maybe going to come back just to find out about who A was. So yeah. they're constantly like, they're trying to constantly remind you about who characters are, what's happening. The liars uh, suffer uh, when they're in the, I called it the spaceship room. Uh, when they're mm -hmm. in the spaceship room, I don't know if there's like carbon monoxide in there. I don't know if there is a shortage of oxygen, but everybody's IQ seems to fall by about a hundred points when they are in that room. Um, yeah. They, they just have to like repeat everything. Uh, it, it's not, it's not great. Um, well, one thing we were talking about is why are the liars so inactive in this episode? It's a great question, isn't it? I mean, I think that one of the huge flaws of this whole arc, the Lost De Laurentiis arc, is that it is being built around um, an emotional connection that Allison has to her sibling that we all season have been saying we don't buy it. Like, it has not been fleshed out properly. The sad thing is that actually Allison's connection to Cece is super significant. And yes. yet somehow the way that they've constructed all of this, the way that they've sort of like weirdly reverse engineered all of this has stripped the emotional content out of everything. I think a thing that's also tough is that like, okay, yes, Cece and Allison have a very strong bond and a significant relationship. Cece doesn't really have a significant relationship with any of the other liars. We also have not seen Cece for a very long time on the show. And so it's like, yes, the liars and Mona are stuck in like control room spaceship purgatory because they don't really have anything to do with this. Like none of, again, not to keep harping on the Mona thing, although 
granted, we will probably be bringing that up a lot because that's, like, the gold standard for how to do a reveal. But, like, part of what makes that so satisfying is that, like, Mona has this rage at the liars and this specific love slash obsession with Hannah and this, like, specific competition with Spencer. Part of what makes the Prez reveal satisfying, even though it's not ultimately the A reveal that we wish it to be, is, like, they have set up that Prezra has sort of been fostering these individual relationships with each of the liars, and particularly this animosity with Spencer. So it's, like, I think, I think that, like, part of why the liars are so inactive in this episode is because they don't matter. Like, they really do not matter fundamentally in this arc. I, yes, I see your, I, I see your point about it doesn't matter. And I raise you uh, the fact that the Mona reveal, uh, we had Mona like with Spencer in the car racing down the windy roads to get to lookout point. Like you felt a sense that Spencer was legitimately in danger. Mona was yeah. unhinged. Spencer was not safe. With the Presra reveal, you felt him as a danger and active and a clear and present danger to both Allison and Aria. Like that led to some of the most like hair raising on the back of your neck moments of the show. You believed in that sense of danger in a way that like the stakes, quote unquote stakes in this episode are uh, Sarah Harvey and the suitcase bomb, uh, which is, is so meaningless and which is diffused in like 0.2 seconds by Spencer. Uh, and it's just like, it's just like nobody believes, like the show doesn't even seem to believe in the danger of that situation. Well, and also the pacing of this episode is abysmal, which I think is part of the issue as well, is like, there's even a part where the liars are just literally like zoning out, staring at the screen and Spencer's like, hey, Mona, remember, you're supposed to be breaking us out of here. Like, they have no sense of how to... Like, they have this sort of weak thing of, like, oh, the liars are trapped in the control room. But, like, that doesn't really feel like a threat. And so <laughs> there's no sense of, like, why is this happening right now? What is the urgency? You know, I don't really know why they didn't just have Charlotte kill Kenneth. Like, or like that would have given a certain amount of uh, something to this episode. I think another thing, too, is, like, Part of what works about the Mona reveal and the Prezra reveal is like they both, neither one of them are spending a whole lot of time explaining the logistics because the emotional work has been done to the point that it is like so satisfying that you don't even, as an audience member, you don't even really question it. Like, yes, they later have the whole thing of explaining that like Lucas was the one who gave Emily the massage because Mona was at the stables, but like that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So much of this episode is trying to explain logistics because that's sort of all there is to care about because the emotional work is not there. Um, also, <laughs> surprise, surprise, many of the logistics do not add up <laughs> at all. <laughs> so so it's like, many. Why bother explaining it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Why bother saying, but Jason saw you in a yellow tank top when the answer is, well, he must have been wrong. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Why? Why, why? do we literally show the scene when Cece like puts herself in the yearbook? Because like, oh no, <laughs> the fans are gonna be like, why was Cece in the yearbook? Like, part of what's the part of what makes A exciting is like 
the things that do not get explained, right? Yes. It's the things that are just a magic, the worms and the Chinese food, you know? And like, I feel like this episode strips all of that away and like leaves this sort of weird husk of a storyline. I do just want to say though, Vanessa Ray does fabulous work with garbage material. Like, I think she is great in this episode. She's given awful stuff to work with, but I think she does a fabulous job. And part of me wonders if part of the reason, and this is something I think that they talked about on the Bros Watch PLL2 podcast, if part of the reason that they chose Cece to be A is because they knew Vanessa Ray could deliver the, you know, it was mm. a long monologue. Because, like, let's be real. We don't really want Keegan delivering that monologue, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we don't want Keegan. We don't want Sarah Harvey. Uh, yeah, it is. She does. She does the best job that she can. Um, but yeah, it's pretty rough. I have two Kenneth related things to say before we oh. like start really getting into this. Uh, when you were talking about why doesn't she kill Kenneth? Um, two things with Kenneth that I think would make this a lot better. One, why doesn't why? Why don't they just reveal here that Kenneth killed Jessica? Why don't th then we would solve Jessica's murder in this episode uh, and it would give like more of a reason for hating Kenneth. Like, I just feel like if you want to make Kenneth the villain, which Marlene in later interviews said like, well, Kenneth is the true villain of PLL. Well, why not do that? Why not make him a yeah. murderer here? And wouldn't that be more satisfying than the, oh, we were like planning to kill Mary Drake with his blood pressure medicine, but then oops, Jessica got accidentally murdered instead. Like, wouldn't that be more satisfying if it was Ken, which Pam even kind of hinted at last week that it could have been him? Yes, I completely, completely agree. Um, yeah, I feel like the whole like Kenneth is actually the villain of this is it is it is the definition of like too little too late the way that they handle this. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, I think better than anything that they do here would be if Kenneth is dead at the end of this episode and we don't know whether it was Allie, Charlotte, or Jason who murdered him. I think that that would be... Plus, like, how much work would Charlotte really have to do to convince Allie and Jason to murder their dad? I mean, <laughs> I I feel like that that is not, like, a big jump. That is, like, a tiny step and there a willingness would be. <laughs> or what if it's kind of a big little lies thing and we go into the time jump, the liars have all somehow conspired together to kill Kenneth. They've killed him or it's like a big accident thing or something. And like, this is the, this is the mystery. This is like the thing that brings them back to Rosewood post time jump, you know? Yeah. I, I think that, I, I think that Kenneth making it uh, to the end of this episode alive, uh, given all of the people who have died and who are going to die in Rosewood uh, is just a travesty. <laughs> And we never see him again. Nope. No, nope. like he's so, not. In the, so the difference the between him being alive or dead is zero. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So before we dive in, like, we're just going to say this episode is going to be a mess to talk about. We are going to do our best. Um, I, I just think like, you know, we're going to issue all the trigger warnings. Like this episode is transphobic trash. We are going to be, uh, calling out the harm as much as we can and trying to eliminate harm and how we talk about this. But uh, we're just doing our best here, folks. So uh, apologies if this is just kind of 
a bit of a, a mess of an episode. We are, we much like Vanessa Ray, we are like trying to pull something from the garbage here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, make sure you have a comfortable chair. Make sure you have like lots of water to stay hydrated. We're we're going in. And also, we're probably going to be really fired up this episode too. So, like, <laughs> just a warning. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. So, should we begin? Let's do it. We open this episode. With Allison running up some stairs in her yellow dress, the liars following hastily in her wake. She bursts onto a roof, and we see that the black hoodie is perched on the edge of said roof, apparently about to jump. Allie pleads with them not to do this. The other liars join in. Don't do this to your sister. You spent your whole life trying to get back in with your family. Just because we know who you are doesn't mean the game is over, Spencer says. (laughs) Down below, police cars surround the building. Barry Maple in a suit orders everyone not to fire as there are civilians on the roof. Hannah says they were such a bitch to the liars, but they have heard their story. They understand. A makes a motion as if to jump, and all the liars scream, No! This is like an opening to like how there's going to be so many reaction shots of the liars in this episode. So this is like their first big... No reaction shot. Um, but get ready. There are going to be a lot more. One of the things that is annoying about this episode is like, so everybody in this opening scene gets a sort of significant but vague line, like trying to convince <laughs> A not to go anywhere. Most of the liar lines in this episode are completely interchangeable. Like there is, they're just like exposition, you know, dumps or just, you know, pointing something out or having a moment of sympathy or whatever. And like, that's a problem. If your four main characters could be like, basically just like put into a blender and, you know, given whatever line possible, that's a problem. Also, a lot of the liars dialogue, I think was added in later because even when you're looking at it and trying to hear which liar said it, you can't always do so. So that is also, um. (laughs) that's also a fun game yes ADR city here (laughs) so post credits we are earlier that night Uh, the writers are not even putting in the effort to assign an hour number here we don't even get a like three hours six hours twelve hours earlier it's just oh sometime earlier that night Uh, we are in the immediate aftermath of Allison having somehow disappeared from the prom despite being in a giant frilly yellow dress Hannah is trying the daily his home phone while the moms scream from the basement. Uh, we learn that the liars just have to basically stand here because Toby is allegedly going to escort them home. Uh, Sarah Harvey comes in. She's like acting as the uh, police kind of liaison in the first part of this episode. She announces that, that the police have questions. Uh, Emily wants to go look for Allison, uh, but Aria still is convinced that uh, dead name is not going to hurt Allison. There is a great shot of Aria kind of looking at herself through broken glass. This is like one of the few good shots of this episode. Um, And she sees a flash of red saying that they aren't alone. A door opens and the liars creep forward down a mysterious hallway. Uh, Someone in a red cloak and mask kind of stands at attention and it is Mona. She's been following Allison since yesterday, but she couldn't get past the cop. She makes, Mona gets like probably most of the best lines of this episode. And she makes a crack about how maybe Arya thought that Clark was always happy to see her, but Mona couldn't get past the bulge in his pants, uh, which feels like um queer, 
let that feels like a queer coded Mona line right there. Like she's she's not going to be distracted by bulges and pants, you know. Uh, Mona's phone ch- phone chimes. She has been snarfing Allie, trying to track down A using the text that Allie's been getting, and they're coming from the Karasimi group. I feel like um the writers or somebody somebody is like really into this idea of the Karasimi group and like it's just not like they're trying to make fetch happen here it's just like not really happening uh hannah takes this as further confirmation that a and reese are the same person emily wants to uh like continues to want to go after allison sarah says that she's gonna call tanner which is a weird line because i think tanner is like supposed to be like 50 feet off screen but whatever uh off they go yeah, uh, so call out here to Mona noticing the bulge in Clark's pants. Maybe if the liars had not been so disconnected from one another this half season, and or if Emily had been paying any attention at all the time she actually met Clark, maybe someone else would have noticed that as well. True, very true. Yeah, and uh, also LOL to the reveal, uh, the, uh, like on Mona's uh, phone here, that she has discovered that uh, Deadname has their own cellular network, the servers of which are at the Karasimi group. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, Karasimi-zen is like the (laughs) the phone network that A has been using all this time. Uh, so. (laughs) Elsewhere, Black Hoodie is dragging Jason's unconscious body with the vacant glazed eye, Mona in the car trunk, are they dead look across the floor. Allison, who we last saw upright and gasping at the revelation of A's identity, has somehow wound up prone on a bed in a cell situation that also looks like a room at Radley. Drugged? Taking a nap? We don't know! (laughs) Uh, There are pictures on the wall of Jessica and a daughter with long blonde hair in dresses looking happy. Now, the thing that really gets me here is that casting Jessica as the good parent who accepts their trans daughter is all well and good, but then how do we square that with her choice to commit her child to Radley strictly on Kenneth's say-so rather than divorcing him? Ugh. Speaking of Kenneth, Allison quickly catches sight of him in an adjoining cell looking all dead and drugged, a la Jason. I sort of feel like, I mean, gosh, it's like... Trying to do story reha- rehab on this is like trying to put lipstick on a pig. But I <laughs> I sort of feel like um they almost needed a line or something in there about that like more directly was like Kenneth was a was an abusive monster. Like Kenneth was abusing Jessica or like Kenneth threatened to kill Charlotte. And so Jessica thought that like putting Charlotte and Radley was a safer solution or something like that. Because I agree the way that they that this episode sort of flip-flops on Jessica as, like, good parent, but also, like, the liars at one point are like, well, Mrs. De Laurentiis is the person who taught Charlotte how to be A. Like, yeah. Well, they this is, like, one of those weird, like, PLL being, like, in and outside of time. Like, they act like Jessica is, like, a modern parent in that, like, she is supportive of her daughter's transition, but also Jessica lives in the 1950s where a divorce from Kenneth would be, like, <laughs> completely impossible there's you know or, or like in the in the 1850s when she's just being told like there's no divorce in the state of pennsylvania right right and i mean certainly this will come up as we're talking about this but like this the way that this episode plays with trans tropes is 
like very reminiscent of old media. Like there's definitely there's a part later that where I'm like, oh, this is just completely a Buffalo Bill ripoff that, that you're doing here. Like it is it is old and it is harmful. Um, so meanwhile, the liars pull up to the Karasimi group. They see some utility workers unloading bags from the building. Uh, <laughs> Hannah wonders if it could be Ali's chopped up body. The other liars are like not very into this idea. They pause to ponder what might be going on before they hear sirens and they hustle inside. It is not entirely clear if they're like, if they're trying to get it, like, it seems like they're trying to get inside before the cops get there, but it's not entirely clear, like, if they're thinking that they're, like, leading the cops in there and that the cops are right behind them, or if it's like, oh, we need to try to do some investigation before the cops come in here. I read it as they were leading the charge. Like, they were like, okay, the cops are coming. We are going <laughs> to storm into this building and find out what there is to find out. I thought that that was what we were supposed to think. So here's a question. If Sarah Harvey never called the cops, are these just like random unrelated Rosewood PD sirens that they're hearing? I mean, yeah. Or like okay. Charlotte made, <laughs> Charlotte was like throwing her voice to like, <laughs> rear, rear, and the liars were like, oh, the police are almost here. <laughs> you know, the mind hears what it wants to hear. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the idea that like, in addition to all of this, Charlotte's doing some kind of like venture. <laughs> Also, to your point about Allison waking up in the bed, she does kind of wake up with a little smile, like she's just had like a really relaxing nap, which is like, and like her head is like on a pillow, like it it doesn't look like a bad way to wake up. No, it's it seems mostly fine. Well, when she first woke up, I was like, oh, because I I didn't. There were some parts in this episode I didn't remember super well. I was like, oh, is she in a coffin? Ooh, that's like, but no, she's not in a coffin. She's just like on a bed. She just had like. She just had a little sleep, and now she's going to be able to stay up past her bedtime. <laughs> this is another moment, too, where it's like, Allie and Radley, like, that feels like kind of a big moment. You know, Mona had even foretold that back in her, you know, sapphic sleepover with Hannah, <laughs> uh, one of many. But, like, again, it just doesn't really happen. No, no. So the liars are in the building. Uh, they arrive. It's a security panel that Hannah and Spencer previously spotted. Mona suggests several possible combinations, but it's good old Sarah Harvey uh, who claims that dead name always gave her a cupcake on September 7th every year. Uh, They try 0907 and it works. The door unlocks and they enter a room that at first seems to be, as Hannah calls it, just a stupid room until a special back panel opens looking similar to the type of entrance doors you would see on the Death Star in the first Star Wars movie with like those kind of half octagon panel shapes for no real reason. Uh, The liars go in immediately and it looks like a high tech presentation area. This is the area you're calling the command center. I'm calling the spaceship. This actually looks like if Lucas were A. This is like (laughs) the room that Lucas would design. Um, if you have this fancy space layer, I don't know why you're still like bothering with your arts and crafts and your newspaper clippings on walls, but you know, I, I guess every, every stocking calls for like a different type of workroom. Uh, Hannah wonders if they've just walked into A's brain and Spencer sounding a lot turned on (laughs) agrees that she thinks so. 
Um, Arya notices the surveillance camera in the corner and suggests that A already knows that they're there. Before anything else can happen, we see that Sarah is still outside the Death Star door. It looks a little tight in there, she says, which is not a good line or line delivery <laughs> and also a hilariously bad lie. Like, it would be better if she was like, there aren't any chairs in there, which is a valid complaint. There aren't any chairs in there. Everyone's going to have to stand around in their heels for the rest of the episode. But no, Sarah's like, oh, it's just too tight. It's not a crawl space. It's like a spacious room with a giant spaceship panel but anyway it looks it looks a little tight in there she says uh and just then the spaceship door closes with sarah on the other side (sighs) and so it goes somehow it will be a while before anybody figures out that sarah might be up to something my theory is that like sarah was just like like this was the equivalent of like a panic order at a restaurant. Like Sarah was like working on like what, okay, what is my evil line going to be that like let <laughs> Emily and the other liars know that I'm not on their side. Um, okay. Wait, what can I say? What can I say? It's going to, it has to be quick. Cause like the door is going to close. Cause, uh, it's a little tight in there. Like, like she just kind of, she just, it was just sort of first thought, best thought, but it like really wasn't the best thought, you know, I it think that's not- what it was not the best thought. And also it's like it's like a line you might hear like on the office, right? Before Michael Scott is like, Oh, that's what she said. Exactly. Like I, it's not it's just it's not great. It is not great. Uh what is great question mark is this giant <laughs> magic table with a big magic red button that starts flashing. And there was like a moment of tension here. Again, I did not remember all of the details of this episode. Uh, like like you said. So I was like, oh, is the question going to be like, are they going to press the button? And like, that's going to be a thing? No, the screen just comes to life like by itself. Uh, it, it So the, how to describe this exactly? There's like a magic table that the liars can like touch and control stuff. Then there's like a magic screen. This is getting very Pee Wee's Playhouse that like pops up at the front of the room and is just like a live feed of Radley where very conveniently the liars can just like control the angles of what they're looking at, which is like super helpful. Uh, Charlotte really thought of everything. So the screen at the front of the room clicks into a video feed of Radley. Uh, Hannah walks over and puts her hand through it. It feels like we are in like a Mission Impossible movie or something. Uh, Mona determines that this is a live feed. We get some terrible quality video of Allie asking A why they would kill Jason and Ken. Uh, this is just, the liars are like, who is she talking to? What's going on? Where is Allie? What's happening? Oh my God, Jason and Ken, where is Allie? Who is she talking to? Liars. I'm going to give you one guess. Do you think maybe Allie is talking to A? Do you think like (laughs) maybe that might be what's going on? They see the black hoodie and they all gasp. Oh my God, Allie's talking to A. Liars. Again, I say, really? Uh, A spins around and it is Cece. And she says, don't be so dramatic, Allie, which is a good line. Like Sarah Harvey could take a few pointers from that one. Uh, apparently Jason and Ken are not dead yet. 
Cool. Um, I really want to, before we get into uh, what's happening at Radley, uh, I also want us to just not forget the noises uh, that the screen and the magic table are making. Because there's like a whole series of like, again, Star Wars droid-like sound effects (laughs) of like, like trilling and blips and bloops and blops and like everything is made to sound very high tech. And Hannah putting her hand through it, it doesn't even look like it's just a protector. It's like gelatinous. Like it's like yeah. a gelatinous screen uh, that she's touching. So this this thing is ridiculous. It's like the, the magic tabletop is just like basically a giant touch screen. Like I had dinner yeah. in London at a restaurant once where you ordered off the table in this way. And it's yeah. just like an upgraded version of that that has this like eye of Sauron kind of graphic going on with it. Um, but man... The fact that the liars are just going to be in this room staring at the screen for most of this episode. Yeah, when Hannah puts her arm through the screen, it makes a kind of like noise, like like she's like (laughs) to another dimension. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, All right. So because fucking, of course, uh, after the reveal, we get the liars exclaiming, Cece, as like Cece is continuing with her. They're not dead yet. Um, more shocked gasping, shocked group gasping. Uh, the show sure is hoping that the audience is gasping. And then we mercifully like cut to black for a second. So let's pause uh, to suggest that, uh, you know, while the show afterwards acted like, well, they weren't trying to be transphobic. That wasn't their intention. Uh, but like, is it shocking for Cece to be A? Were the liars not focused on her as a prime suspect ages ago? And remember how we talked about Hannah teaching the audience how to react when your best friend comes out way, way back in the day? Uh, It is extremely clear that the show, with all of this shock, gasp, wait for more gasps, uh, is clearly signaling that the reaction here should be shock, tinged with horror, gasps, and more shock. Uh, In short, this is some bullshit. Um, yes. Well, but back to the point where we left off, Allie and Cece are arguing. Uh, Allison says that she sacrificed everything to help her. Cece thinks that a passport and a plane ticket uh, was hardly everything. Allison says, but it's all she had. Cece says that Allie needs to stop making it all about her. Otherwise, it's going to be a long night and they're running out of time. Well, guess what? It is going to be a long night. And for all this, we're running out of time. You're going to be running on for like the whole rest of this episode. So get ready, people. Yeah, I I, unintentionally, uh, this ended up being a Christmas episode because Cece starts eerily singing Sisters from White Christmas at this point, (laughs) uh, which is like the show is very much doing the thing of you know oh the 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 villain is like losing touch with reality and they're like doing creepy things and like freaking everybody out and it's like i i get that that is often the way that these villain monologues go right like that's kind of where mona went that's like that's kind of the script of how these things go however it cannot that does not exist in a vacuum And the fact that this character is trans and being treated as, like, the scary villain who's losing touch with reality. And, like, also, I mean, we'll get into this, but also, like, 
being like sort of being weird around girly things is like kind of part of all of this too is super bad. It is really, really bad. One detail that I do like is that throughout this episode, the liars just start shedding their goofy headpieces because clearly they're like, I can't be dressed as Snow White while I'm like hearing this villain backstory. And so at this point, Arya is the first to take off her her little headband. Uh, the liars are trying to wrap their brain around all of this. Cece is dead name. We get the line, she is a she, right? Mona suggests that Tanner is working for Cece, and that's how Cece evaded police custody. Uh, which, like, come on, Mona, you're smarter than this. Uh, now it is Emily's turn to shed her headpiece. Uh, they talk about how Tanner does have nice shoes. And there's just this, like, general, uh, you know, real jumping to conclusions happening here. Another thing about this episode <laughs> that, again, we'll get into more. But, like, not only does this episode act, act as if the audience is, like, jumping in after having maybe not watched this season. They're also acting as if nobody within the show or in the general viewing audience has any concept of like what a trans person is. And so many of the liars lines are speaking to that. And it's not in a way of like gently lovingly educating. It's in a way of like, what's up with that freak? Mm -hmm. Oh, it definitely is. And I would like to talk about the styling of CC in these scenes, which I think is also a problem. Like, Trans women can look however they want. Like, people can be trans and non-binary. There's no requirement for, like, masculine or feminine presentation. But the show is purposely keeping her hair under the hood at this point and accentuating the angles of her face to make her seem as masculine as possible because the message that they're giving here is Cece is dead name. As if Cece is the false identity and dead name is the real one peeping through. Um yeah. And also, like, when we see the liars in in these moments, like when Emily gets that terrible line, she is a she, right? Like, let's keep our eyes on the way the show is not focusing on, we trusted Cece, Cece is A, Allison thought that Cece was on her side. Like, no, we are not thinking about any of that. The liars are still extremely focused on the gender stuff. So I feel like that really shows you where the show is, like, planning to have you train your gaze. Uh, also, when they when they get to this part where they're like, oh, Tanner must be on A's payroll, I just have a small list of things the liars could consider doing at this point. Um, I'm thinking that maybe they could use their phones to call 911. Or Toby. Or Lorenzo. Uh, but here in the spaceship, you know, their logic does not resemble our Earth logic. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. Um, and just speaking of Lorenzo, we got uh, a, a very nice email from listener Grace, who uh, pointed something out to us that neither one of us were aware of, which is that um, the actress who played, or the actor, uh, all the all the gender stuff is getting to me too. Uh, the actor who plays Lorenzo, Travis Winfrey, is a black man, and we had not really factored that in when we have spoken about Lorenzo uh, in the show or spoken about. Uh, black characters in the show. 
doesn't really change anything in terms of like the show's representation of uh, black men specifically, but of of note. And uh, that's that's on us for not having included that previously. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you to uh, listener Grace, I think it was, who pointed that yep. out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but back. <laughs> oh, do you, sh- sh- you want to take this or should I? Oh, you feel free. Feel free okay. to take this bathtub scene. Oh, boy. So um, Cece is staring at the birthday painting that was the, the apparently the gift from Sarah Harvey, uh, saying that she that they never understood how much she loved Allison. Allie was like her own living doll. And we cut to a flashback. Uh, this is a flashback in the. So this is in the De Laurentiis house, but then they moved away, but then they moved back. Or is this the De Laurentiis house in Georgia? Because didn't they move to, they moved somewhere at some point, didn't they? Uh, I think, I think that they were supposed to have moved after, like, after Charlotte was institutionalized, I think. Okay. Okay. So this is the De Laurentiis house. Uh, we are in, uh, we are in a child's room. Uh, a we see a child. This is uh, young Charlotte, probably maybe five years old or so. Uh, she is sitting and playing with a tea set. Uh, baby Allie in her crib starts to cry, and Charlotte calls for Jessica, who is distracted in the yard by Jason, who looks like he, even like child Jason looks like he's having a rough time of it, um, and a neighbor. So Charlotte suggests that, you know, maybe a bath might make Allison feel better. She goes to run the water. And um, this this child who plays Charlotte is unfortunately not a great actor. But uh, Charlotte accidentally submerges the baby in this hot water. We see sort of an overhead shot where Ken uh, with like some it looks like somebody like drew some marker on top of his head to make him look a little younger, uh, picks Allison up out of the bathtub screaming, what's wrong with you? at young Charlotte, who seems to, it seems that they directed this actor to play like, um, like maybe they have an evil intention in mind. The, the little child kind of glares at Kenneth. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is our, this is our first introduction of child Charlotte here. Uh, we then cut to Jessica and Ken dropping Charlotte off at Radley. This poor little child, uh, Jessica leans down and tells her that she loves her. Ken will not even spare a glance, uh, hustling his wife on out of there and saying they can't risk Charlotte harming Jason or the baby. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) um, So, first of all, the neighbor that Jessica is talking to is played by Marlene King, having a cameo in this particular episode. Uh, also, uh, I mean, she should be careful because I'm just saying there are a lot of bodies buried in the De Laurentiis yards. <laughs> so, and I'm not feeling too charitably towards you right now, Marlene King. But um, baby Allison was crying in that crib the whole time that Charlotte was trying to hail Jessica outside, which was not successful. Ken was presumably in the house and was just deciding to let baby Allison cry it out indefinitely. Also, did he not hear the water running in the bathtub? Vina, I know that you have at various points in your life, like been responsible for taking care of children. Um, 
if you heard the baby crying for like an extended time period and then unexplained water <laughs> running, how long would you let that whole situation go on for before you would feel a need to investigate? <laughs> Just ballpark. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I'd be up the stairs by like the end of that first cry. <laughs> how this plays out you know i think you made the point about how like ken was maybe um maybe like just seeing like if if a was gonna kind of take care of things and like kill jason for him i ken just like playing a numbers game and he's just seeing like how many of these kids could i like reasonably get rid of and not be blamed for it it really yeah but then he's like oh no it's the wrong one i thought oh, the like darn <laughs> I thought Allison would like eat the other two. Like, I don't know what he was like expecting uh, was going to happen, but woof. Yeah, this is, um, this is a big mess. And the scene, the scene here where they're like walking away from their kid in a mental institution, like who is more monstrous here? I mean, I know we're meant to think that it is Ken and Ken is monstrous, no doubt, but Ken is actually convinced that he is right. Jessica knows that he's wrong, but she is going along with it. Yeah. Like, who murdered Jessica De Laurentiis? Was it me? Because I am sorely <laughs> tempted right now. Oh, man. Yeah. It, no, I, I completely agree. I also feel like all of the stuff with, um, all of the stuff with Charlotte, like, especially this, like, young child Charlotte, it feels like it's somebody who like read the definition of transgender in a dictionary had like no concept of like what that was and then like wrote a script based on it like or like a, a coloring book version like obviously trans people can express themselves as you know as children as teenagers as adults however they please but the like just the way that they have her like oh the first shot has to be her like playing with a tea set and then later when we get to like teenage charlotte it just it's just it is it is rote it is just like there is no characterization to this character beyond like trans basically. yeah they they did not have anybody do a sensitivity read of this script and i think it goes without saying that there were like no trans writers in the writer's room yeah. I, I would be shocked shocked if there were yeah um, as would i Back in the backstory, Allie is just sure dear old dad must have seen that it was a mistake. And Cece is sure that he did. But as long as she can remember, she had asked mom to buy her dresses, but Ken would not let her. Uh, she would play dress up from Jessica's closet, which Jessica thought was cute. But Ken found out and he did not find it cute. Uh, <laughs> she bends down next to him, telling Allie that, uh, you know, Jason and Ken in their drugged out state. Uh, they can hear them, but they cannot speak or move. Uh, she bends down and tells Ken, you never visited me, not even once. And this this is like a grievance. And I understand that the grievance is like, basically, you left me in a mental institution to rot. Like, you didn't ever want to see me again. And that is a really valid grievance. But framing it as like, you never visited me in a sense that is like, did you want him to <laughs> you? Like, you hate him. He's awful. He loathes you. Like, I I don't think that, the, like, this is framed as just like a, you never stopped by to have fruitcake with me at Christmas. And like that, <laughs> I feel like the grievance should be framed a little bit differently here. Um, 
But then she tells Allie that they're lucky neither of them inherited his beady eyes. And I do like sort of the playfulness of like Charlotte insulting Kenneth's beady eyes uh, while Kenneth can do nothing um, but lay there. I totally agree. Um, also, a, a line that Charlotte has here is that she she thinks that Kenneth did know it was an accident, but this was all that he needed to get rid of her, which is like, ugh, what a what a what a sad, awful thing to like know your whole life that your dad just like wants any excuse to get rid of you. Um, so we cut back to the control room, command center, spaceship. Uh, Mona is explaining that whatever drug was administered to Jason and Ken is the same drug that Charlotte gave to her. Uh, she basically says, like, they are in uh, a hell uh, where they can see and they can hear, but they, you know, they can't move, they can't speak. And uh, the liars all kind of acknowledge that they feel sorry for Jason, but not for Kenneth. And the way that this is acknowledged is, like, Aria very quickly is like, I feel bad for Jason, but I don't think I could ever feel sorry for Ken. And literally Emily and Hannah just say in unison, same, like, that's it. There we go. Kenneth is the villain of the story. Same. Like, this is not enough. This is not enough. You are no. not doing the work. No, you, you are not doing the work. And like Emily, like what, two scenes ago was saying she is a she, right? So Emily, it's it's not like she has just like, you know, gone through a whole revolution here uh, from that previous scene. Yes. Get, get out of here, show. Uh, anyway, Cece continues on that Jessica visited her whenever she could. Aunt Carol came a couple of times, but mostly for the next seven years, she was totally alone. Allison says that must have been terrible. And Cece kind of smirks and says, you think? Um, again, this is Vanessa Ray doing her very best uh, to sell just abysmal, abysmal material. Uh, anyway, for her 12th birthday, Jessica got her a beautiful yellow dress. And then every time she bought Allie an outfit after that, she would buy the same one for Cece as if they were twins, uh, which cues us to a new flashback, which I'm very unclear how it's being transmitted to the liars. I presume it is being beamed directly from Cece's brain. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so in this new flashback, a slightly older Charlotte, uh, who is now uh, wearing a dress and a scarf and a character who we quickly is quickly identified to us as Bethany Young, uh, are sitting on the roof of Radley. There's a little bit of dialogue here where Bethany is, you know, saying that Charlotte looks beautiful. She's so pretty. Um, however, she is also still using Charlotte's dead name. Uh, Charlotte wishes that they could escape and Bethany says that leaving is, is easy. It's staying gone. That would be tough. Charlotte suggests that a great story will get them out. Um, and then she sort of play acts the role of the child of crack addicts sold for a fix. Uh, just then Mrs. Cavanaugh comes out also just by the way, like as if this show, you know, need like wasn't already passing the sensitivity test. Let's talk about crack addicts for a minute. That's great. Um, Mrs. Cavanaugh comes out and Charlotte begs Bethany to cover for her, saying that she can't see Charlotte like this, which again, like totally a uh, valid concern. But this also feels like another moment that is like ripped from the 1950s, Radley, because it's like it's not interrogated at all. Like, it's not like a line of like, oh, that Mrs. Cavanaugh, she's a real bigot, you know, like it's just like, oh, it's a given that like 
Charlotte dressing in in girl clothing would immediately mean, you know, that like everybody would turn on her basically. Uh, we cut to Charlotte's POV and she watches as Bethany and Mrs. Kavanaugh talk and then uh, Bethany just shoves the old gal off the roof. Uh, it is a shocking moment. Um, and uh, when Charlotte comes over to be like, yo, you just like shoved Mrs. Kavanaugh off the roof. Bethany replies, you pushed her, freak. So apparently Bethany was uh, not the good pal that Charlotte may have hoped. Yes. Uh, Cece tells Allison that no one believed her. Uh, and Jessica paid Wilden off to rule everything a suicide. Um, good old Radley, where, you know, <clears throat> like preteens suffering from mental illness are free to wander up to the roof whenever they want. And where Marion Kavanaugh, also suffering from depression, is able to like just <laughs> hang out up there for, you know, like whatever you want. It's, it's all good. Well, also, Wilden, who I guess, you know, in this town of, like, teen architects, teen hacker, teen police detective, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. he, is, he is the same age as Charlotte, but, like, guess uh, guess he was on the force there. Great. Good for him. <laughs> he so, probably went to the same training as Toby, let's be real. Oh, I am, yes, I am sure that he did. Or he, like, um, I don't know, he, he took some kind of, like... Uh, you know, he he's like he did something like in Big or Freaky Friday where he like switched bodies with his father for a day. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So here he is, like <laughs> a full a full grown adult. Well, we cut back to the liars having some reaction shots of being upset and scandalized, and Spencer lamenting Toby's lifelong man pain. She's like. Oh, Thinking his mother left him on purpose. That changed him. And I'm just like, oh man, could not care less. Um, Emily and Hannah agree that Mr. D abandoned Cece, but Jessica taught her how to be A. So let's count how many people have this far into the story been affirming of Cece's gender. That would be Bethany, kind of, and Mrs. D, kind of one of whom is a mentally unbalanced child murderer and the <laughs> other who lies so much we're blaming her for creating A. Not great, show. Not great at all. Uh, Cece was put on tranquilizers after being diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder, which was accurate for Bethany. Um, Charlotte almost drowned in her own drool. Allie says that she is sorry, and Hannah gets mad. And says, now Allie is apologizing to A? Has she forgotten the hell that A put them all through? And it's like, come on, Allie is expressing a normal human emotion here. It's like the liar dialogue is speaking for the absolute lowest common denominator of the audience. Uh, yeah. Mona shushes her. Uh, and we get back to Cece talking about how the quacks felt bad for almost killing her. So they let her out to go to a funeral. Who died? Well, dead name. They buried the dead name at Aunt Carol's, and from then on, Jessica accepted that she had a daughter, but she still took her back to Radley, now as Charlotte. There is a line that Spencer says that is, like, wrong on 500 different, different levels when she's like, Mrs. D sacrificed Toby for dead name. And it's like, first of all, Charlotte, like, it's been established at this point, Cece is 
trans. Cece is a woman. Cece does not identify with the male name that was given to her at birth. Why are we still dead naming this person? Second of all, like, Mrs. D sacrificed a boy she doesn't know for her own (laughs) child, which, like, yeah? I mean, if it's a choice between the two, like, I don't, I wouldn't assume she'd choose Toby, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A boy that she probably didn't even know about. I mean, let's be real. Um, So... Uh, what do you make of the the funeral for for dead name? What do you make of that as like a, a symbolic gesture? I mean, it's clear like they clearly just did it so that they could have this plot point of why there was a grave and everything like that. Like, uh, I I mean, I don't know what the show is trying to do or trying to say. With that, um, I think that, like, it's it's great. It's great that Jessica was like, okay, we are, like, I am accepting this. Uh, we are accepting, you know, that you are my daughter, you are Charlotte. But, like, more meaningful than, like, pulling you out of the mental institution for a, the opposite of a gender reveal, a gender burial party, uh, would be, like, accepting you as my daughter leaving my trash bag of a husband, removing you from the mental institution you've been unjustly imprisoned in for all of these years, and, like, living our lives out there in the big world together. Um, So I think that this is, like, I know that, like, to Charlotte, this feels like the closest she gets to really being loved, but, like, Jessica is just fucking this up, like, ten ways from Sunday. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I, I yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that there it also is like it plays into this idea of you know rather than it being like you Jessica you never had a a son in dead name, you had a daughter and now your daughter finally gets to like be her true self. Mm-hmm. It it really plays into this idea of like you had a son and your son has been killed by Charlotte yes. trans. And like yes. I don't love that. No, that's so, that's so true. And like, that comes to like something that like Danny Lavery has said about like, when people say like, oh, it's, it's like someone I knew died. And he's like, well, I didn't die. I'm actually still right here. You just know me better now. And so you're right that that definitely does feed into like, another bad and harmful trope. Also, like, I got a lot of questions about Aunt Carol's role in all this. Like, what what did Aunt Carol make of all of this? She was visiting Charlotte and, like, presumably was, like, at least somewhat on board with her transition, but, like, never intervened at any point, never said to Jessica, like, hey, maybe we should try to get your kid out of there. And then was like, yeah, sure. Come have, like, a symbolic funeral on my property. It's great. I love having graves. Makes me feel like a Dillarentis. Like, what? (laughs) I'm curious about about old Aunt Carol. Yeah, yeah. Many, many questions. Many questions. Uh, so Hannah, who has maybe never heard the concept of being trans before, sort of stumbles through it for the audience. Dead name is Cece, but Cece is Charlotte? Before the liars can, like, really let that, you know, sink in, there is beeping on the screen, a motion sensor. Uh, the camera angle shifts, and Mona and Spencer recognize that the video feed is coming from Radley, which feels like something they probably should have recognized before. 
Uh, th- but then it shifts again, and we see that a red coat is setting up a bomb. And uh, Spencer announces, Cece's going to blow up Radley. Now, again, the timing is questionable because, like, we see this footage, a whole bunch of time is going to pass, and then when they get back to the place, uh, old Redcoat slash Sarah Harvey is in the exact same position. So maybe now the magic screen can see the future. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that it's, I think it's a live feed, like Mona said. I think that uh, I think that Sarah Harvey just like stands there in suspended animation uh, <laughs> doing nothing because like that's what's like when you're not observing Sarah Harvey, she just like powers down and goes into like, <laughs> you know, that that tracks. I think yeah. that really tracks. Oh, my goodness. Um, so Charlotte continues the tale of her time in Radley how she couldn't trust anyone after Bethany, so she escaped into a world of learning and books. Uh, then Jessica eventually convinced the board to let her attend classes at UPenn. One day, Charlotte calls in the little old bomb threats so that classes would be canceled, and she set off to go see her family. Uh, she meets Jason as he's getting his picture taken for the yearbook, and she flirts with him, before getting her picture taken as well, despite not even going to Rosewood High. Now, I'm going to ask a question here. And Granted, I could have rewound this scene to check my memory, but I just didn't care enough to do so. I thought I remembered when this aired, I thought we saw Ian here. I thought Ian was the yearbook photographer. Oh, I do not remember Ian showing up. I thought I remembered him here, and I didn't see him like when I was watching this scene originally so I'm not sure if that's like something that was cut for time in this particular version of this episode uh or whether I just misremembered that so maybe I'll look that up later maybe I won't I really don't care <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't matter either no. way no uh oh go ahead oh I mean who wants to take who wants to take this the next really terrible show choice we have to deal with now is how Charlotte dated her own brother. Allie asks if they ever, and like the way that Allison says this, you can hear like the dot, dot, dots in like yeah. the script. Like, yep. did you ever? And Cece's like, no, ew, he's my brother. Why do you think he was always so angry? He was frustrated. And then she's like, I mean, look at me as she stares into a mirror. And then she takes off the hood and she flounces her blonde hair. And again, we're associating her being trans with being deceptive and with like the truly bonkers move of dating Jason. Uh, Allie is shocked that mom was okay with all this, but Charlotte says that Jessica didn't know. Cece was, she didn't know that Cece was Charlotte until the morning of Kate, the Kate May trip. And she was horrified. Uh, at one point, Cece pleads with her to quiet down because Jason and Allie are inside. And Cece says, he would kill me if he found out. A particularly bleak line, given like the rates of partner violence and, oh my goodness. Anyway, it transpires that Jessica has told Kenneth that dead name is dead. Charlotte is furious. And Mr. De Laurentiis pulls up just in time to meet this lovely creature who he grossly seems to approve of because he can understand his son wanting to bang her. Oh, let's just have a quick check 
check in on Jessica De Laurentiis here. What would you do in this situation? <laughs> Granted, you're already under a pack of lies. Like, you have a daughter who your husband doesn't accept, who you committed to a mental institution, then said they were dead, now here they've turned up, they're dating your son, what are you going to do? Um, one option, admit your various lies, whatever the cost. I'm, I'm just going to plump here, if Jessica's unable to do that, for option number two, cancel the trip! <laughs> like, Jessica's like a five-star liar. She can't come up with some reason to like just have everybody not go. Like she's just like, well, can't get out of it. Yes, my daughter is just gonna come along as my son's girlfriend. Okay. I hope I don't have to hear them having sex at any point. Like, that sounds awkward. Yeah. She, she could have claimed there wasn't enough room for Cece. She could have pretended there was some problem with the beach house. Oh, the the pipes just burst. Oh, seagulls took over the building. Like, come on, something. Say that you're that you like have food poisoning, like something. Yeah, right, something. right. Fake a heart attack. Have yeah. a heart attack. Like going forward at this point is absolutely unfathomable. Oh man. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Yes. Okay. So I have a lot of thoughts on the things that you just walked us through. First of all. We are later going to find out that uh, Cece's mother, Cece's biological mother, a.k.a. Jessica's twin sister, is named Mary Drake. This would uh, seem to indicate that Jessica's maiden name might, in fact, be Drake. Uh, Now, it makes sense, maybe, that Cece might take her mother's uh, maiden name. However, nobody at any point thinks it's a little bit strange that this girl showed up and just started using Jessica De Laurentiis's maiden name. I mean, I know that Drake is maybe not quite as uncommon a name as De Laurentiis, but still, like, nobody questioned that. And, oh, she actually kind of looks like a De Laurentiis, too. Like, by the way, that might seem a little bit weird. Yeah. So this is one of those things where, like, then when you have the context of what comes later... It uh, doesn't make it better. Another thing that doesn't become better, Marlene, I remember, went on a whole press campaign because this this detail of Jason and Cece having dated was like one of the things that people were the most upset about, understandably. Uh, And I remember that Marlene went on a whole campaign where she was like, it's not as bad as you think, everybody. Like, there's going to be more revealed about this that will make it not as bad as you think. And the ultimate reveal later is that Jason and Cece are actually cousins. That doesn't make it better. Like, it's still... It's still bad. And also Cece, I don't even know. Cece didn't even, did she know that she was their cousin? Well, that's very, very unclear. However, in the yearbook, when she's sitting down to have her picture taken in the yearbook, she gives her name as Cece Drake. So we have to presume that she knows that Mary Drake is like her mom. We would think. Or she could be using Jessica's maiden name. Oh, if she knows true. that Jessica's maiden name is Drake, she could that's, just be, I'm Cece that's Drake. That's true. Yeah, so I guess we don't know if Cece knows that they're cousins. However, I just want to say, regarding Marlene's, like, oh, it's not as bad as you think. I'm more clever than all of that. I would just like to point out that that gets into, like, some really bad things about the way that the show treats adoption. 
because yes. Jessica adopted Charlotte. Jessica raised Charlotte or like Radley raised Charlotte essentially. But like that, like Jessica, like the way that they're acting like, well, you know, it's not really that bad. Like it is that bad. Like she's yeah. Jessica's adopted daughter. She was Jason's adopted sister. Like that is not like a bond that is lessened because like, the the blood isn't there but that's how the show always always treats it which is like you know like let's let's just knock over all of the really offensive pins all at once show all at once yeah full, let's go full strike full sweep um the other thing that i wanted to say is the scene uh, or the moment when uh cc is like staring at herself in the mirror and like the creepy music starts playing again and she's like stroking her hair this to me felt very reminiscent of like the Buffalo Bill, you know, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me moment. And like, I even think that an argument can be made that it's like directly referencing that moment. It definitely feels like it's directly referencing like other bad media portrayals of trans characters. And I totally agree. I really hate that the moment when it's like, you know, Cece takes off the hood and shakes out her hair and sort of has the, you know, she's all that moment of like, oh my God, what a beautiful woman is like, being portrayed first of all like it's it's just um feels like it's very much the stereotype of like oh like the very vain like image conscious trans person and it also has no like it's such a surface level understanding of transness that it's just completely literally just like skin deep right and then it's also as you said like it's playing on this idea of like deception and um particularly around sexuality and like I feel like the show wants us to be as grossed out by the idea that Cece may have slept with her brother as the idea that Jason may have slept with a trans person like they're kind of equating those two ideas uh and like or even even if they're not equating those two ideas it feels like they're sort of using the incest thing as a stand-in for the disgust like either way the idea that anybody would have had sex with charlotte is something to be grossed out by you know and like that is a real problem well also keep in mind that like <clears throat> the show is continually acting in this episode like um all of the liars have just fallen off the turnip truck. None of them have heard of anyone being trans before in their whole lives. Uh, they're walking the audience through it. Like maybe the audience hasn't either. So here the show is acting like, hey, guess what? We just discovered trans people and here's one of them and they're the villain. And now while you're learning all about them, guess what trans people do? They date their brother. Like, yeah. what? Also, this is like, I mean, this is like exactly the reason why having Cece be a lost De Laurentiis is is not is not a great look. Like they could have said Jason was in on it. Like they could have said Jason, like she talked to Jason about it and Jason like knew that would have been better. Like it was all it was all a scam. It was something they were running together. That would have been a, a better outcome than what they're doing here. And like, what's Jason going to say? Nothing. He's immobilized and drugged. He never remembers anything. He's a guppy. Like, there are a million ways that you could be like, yeah, Jason went along with it and he just didn't remember. Um, but the, the way that they choose to do it here just indicates that there is just so much responsibility on the part of the show. Like, there was never anything that, like, the network wouldn't let them do. If they let them do this, like, the show could have done 
anything. And they just made a series of bad choices that have gotten us to this point. I I totally agree. And I feel like the show is it's sort of um, sort of almost in the way that like, you know, swimming is the stand in for lesbian sex like Charlotte being a secret de Laurentiis has almost become a stand in for like her needing to disclose that she's trans in this weird way, because it's like either way, she's keeping secrets about her identity and she's tricking people and that's not good. And it's like, it really, it's a really weird way to frame this character and to sort of frame this idea of disclosure. Uh, And I really don't like it. And another line that I will say that I actually, I think is a great line, I think is one of the better lines of this episode is when uh, in the flashback, when Jessica is like ranting about, you know, be, you know, Charlotte running around town with her children, uh, Cece says, I'm your child too. And I just wanted to be with my family. And I think like that is such a devastating line. And it's like, but it's like a, a, you know, a little tiny pearl in the middle of all this manure or something, you know, (laughs) like it's just, there is like, you know, you pull that out and you're like, okay, that's a moment of sympathy. And it's in the context of a conversation about a, a trans woman, you know, knowingly dating her brother. Yeah, it's a mess. Also, like, Charlotte is supposed to be a genius. Jessica is supposed to be, like, a liar who's, like, she's a better liar than Aria, for goodness sake. And, like, neither of them can come up with anything better here. Like, Charlotte can't come up with any better way to infiltrate this family than dating Jason. Yeah. Yeah, they make it seem like, like, uh, all of these moments, you know, Charlotte has everything planned down to a T, but it's just, like... Oh, just like randomly, like ran into Jason at the yearbook, ran into this and this. I I did want to mention, I did really like the line. Okay. I called him a bomb threat. Like that's like, (laughs) that's like the kind of like the mode of Charlotte that I do really enjoy. And like, that's where I'm sad that we didn't get more of this character. Um, Cause I, I, I like the thing that's, that's tough is like, I actually really like Charlotte as a character. I just really hate everything that they did around this character. Um, So in the present day, Charlotte is recalling how much fun she and Allie had together in Cape May. Uh, There's this really heartbreaking moment where Allie says that every time she remembers something, she has to look at it differently now. We were so close. Why didn't you just tell me the truth? She asks Charlotte. Um, And, you know, you've talked about that line in the context of like, if Charlotte had told Allie the truth, it maybe would have been okay. Like that's kind of what Allie is saying with that line. And I think that that's really true. And I, I actually think Charlotte maybe kind of knows that. Uh, she says that she was going to until Bethany, that bitch Bethany, ruined everything, uh, sneaking out of Radley to try to get revenge on Jessica for, oh yeah, the affair that Jessica had with Bethany's father. And then we have a flashback to that night of Charlotte clocking a girl in a yellow top on the head with a rock while Jessica watched through a window screaming, no, but this girl was not Bethany. This girl was, in fact, Allison De Laurentiis. And Charlotte sobs over the body as Jessica digs a grave. Uh, Charlotte, you know, she's saying she swears she didn't know it was Allie. She begs Jessica to forgive her. I think that... um. Vanessa Ray and Andrea Parker have really great chemistry. Like, I think they are, like, all of their scenes in this episode, I think, um, have, like, really just this real power behind them. And I, it's, again, like, I'm, I'm like, 
Why did they kill off Jessica? Why did they kill off Charlotte? Like, I would have loved more of this relationship, twisted and messed up as it is. Um, and God, like, what a fascinating character in Jessica De Laurentiis that, like, she is burying one child to protect another child that the world thinks is dead. Like, what a, what an interesting life she leads. <laughs> Yeah, I I really feel like, okay, so first of all, I mean, I have a, a stupid question. It's stupid to question any of the giant plot holes here, but what was Bethany doing during this time? Like, did she just, like, stop to have a burger on her way to, like, go murder Jessica De Laurentiis? She, like, she was just, like, you know, she, she took in a movie, maybe, on her way over the De Laurentiis house. Yep. Yep. Yeah. She just, she just, maybe, maybe she was, you know, having some, some fun time with Mona. Like who knows? Oh yeah. Yeah. Could, could very well, <clears throat> could very well be. Um, but yeah, so I have some thoughts. Uh, so let's check in on the choices that Jessica could have made. Um, calling 911, checking Allison's pulse. <laughs> Leaving yeah. Allison's body in the yard for someone else to discover so that at least if she's dead, they can mourn her and have a funeral. But nope, barrier in the yard. Final answer. This family. <laughs> they always go like straight to the most extreme option, don't they? Whew, indeed. So back in Liarland, Mona is suddenly looking very pale. Because how's this for nonsense? Guess what, guys? She murdered Bethany. Um, she'd been threatening Allison for a while. She didn't want to hurt her. But that night, everyone was so mad at Allison. Like, what? So there were just, like, hating Allison vibes in the air that were so strong that Mona was, like, overcome by them? I don't really understand what, what we're getting at here, but um, she saw a blonde girl in a yellow tank top. She kept hearing years of Allison berating her, and she was just so mad, and the shovel was right there, and she just hit her. But it was a blonde-haired, yellow tank top wearing Bethany. Mona killed an innocent person. Hate that framing, which clearly suggests Allison would have gotten what she deserved had she been murdered. Uh, but Spencer doubles right down on it, saying that Bethany was not innocent. Uh, this is like the Wild West nature of justice in Rosewood. Bethany killed Marion and was never punished. So no harm, no foul <laughs> if someone accidentally murders her with a rock later on. Yeah, what a cat's cradle of various blonde girls we have here. Like, it's really a lot. Um, yeah, like we have two blonde girls walking around in identical yellow tank tops, both of whom are thought to have been murdered by a blow to the back of the head with various objects de murder that were just laying around the De Laurentiis yard, uh, both of whom were not killed by the blows to the head, but who wound up being buried in the same grave while still alive two different people who were also different than the people who hit them <laughs> over the head with the murder weapons. And I hate to bring this up. <laughs> is it going to be that Melissa murdered Bethany Young? <laughs> well, that is also true. <laughs> but somewhere on this night or thereabouts, 
a young girl by the name of Sarah Harvey is going to be kidnapped. How? <laughs> when? Why? What? <laughs> yeah. That is uh, because she went missing right around this time, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the whole the whole kid. Yeah. yeah. So because uh, we we go to um, back to the back to Radley, where Allie is saying that Jason saw Charlotte that night in Allie's top. And Charlotte is like, nope, 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 forget that. Nope, false memory. Like, interpretive memory didn't happen. No, 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 no. Jason must have been stoned. Don't worry about it. We go back to that night. Uh, A sort of almost, like, catatonic with grief Charlotte is sitting on the porch while Jessica is paying off Wilden to cover for Charlotte. Uh, He said, you know... um, he says that they, well, let's see, he, Wilden says that, like, they'll basically say that Charlotte was never in Rosewood that night. Charlotte acknowledges that they will never let her out again. Uh, Jessica says maybe that's for the best. And Charlotte has a devastating line here where she says, maybe dad was right about me. And Jessica does not contradict her. Charlotte says that she will understand if Jessica never wants to see her again. Jessica wants to give it some time. Charlotte hugs her fiercely and then gets into Wilden's car. But also, wait, wasn't Wilden Beach haughty? It doesn't seem like Wilden and Charlotte recognize each other here. Also, at what point in this time period did Charlotte kidnap Sarah Harvey? Did Charlotte even kidnap Sarah Harvey? Like, I don't know. Uh, In the present day, Charlotte sadly says that she never thought that Jessica wouldn't fully forgive her. Uh, The implication I took to be that she never saw Jessica alive again after this night. Yes, I do agree. Yeah. Uh, so, like, just then, the liars in the control room remember that they're actually here to escape, not watch a soap opera. <laughs> uh, Mona starts playing around on the magic table, and, like, we get a bunch of really quick exposition. Cece's the wolf of Wall Street. She's never made a bad investment. R- Reese is legit. He was hired as a decoy. Uh, how helpful, liars, that you're, like, explaining all of this to us uh, right here so we don't have to worry about it. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, this is this is just not at all a, a high point of the episode <laughs> or of, of the show at all. I think we have to conclude that Sarah Harvey was not kidnapped um, and that she probably, like, ran away and then later responded to, like, an ad on, like, henchwoman.com uh and and hooked up yeah with, with charlotte yeah through that medium okay henchwoman or something yeah you know? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah okay hench um, yeah that was that was how they got together must love showers i think that was probably <laughs> part of the requirement oh geez okay so uh back on screen charlotte was alone again in radley but then Actually, uh, at least, you know, and then being at least two years later, the most amazing girl showed up. It was Mona, so drugged out that she thought Charlotte was Allie. We see Charlotte in a red robe sneaking into Mona's room for story time and wanting to know more and more about the other girls. She needs to know everything. Oof. We further learn that Charlotte stopped visiting Mona before she came out of her drug days. She couldn't trust Mona. Mona was Hannah's legit friend, and she ran her over with a car. Where's the loyalty in that? Another great line delivery from Vanessa Ray. 
Uh, cut to Mona apologizing to Hannah. She's really, she really is sorry. <laughs> Hannah says, I know, in a very Han Solo way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Charlotte made a deal to play the game with Mona if Mona could get her out uh, and help her to stay out of Radley. Her first assignment was to make friends in Rosewood, and we get a full replay of the scene where Cece meets the liars at the brew. But now we also get Cece's extremely hilarious commentary about how she was doing the best Allie imitation ever and how the look on the liars' faces was worth a million bucks. And in this moment, you really get a sense of how much fun Cece had in tricking everyone. Uh, but then we get into why she hated the liars. Uh, it was because Mona told her they were happy with Allie being gone. And that made Cece so mad. The liars were supposed to be Allison's friends. They got what they deserved. Uh, Mona doesn't remember telling Cece about the liars at Radley, but someone did start playing the game and leaving cryptic clues for her to follow. And she was just so excited. Honestly, I think that Andrew's case against the liars was more interesting than what Cece ha says here, you know? <sighs> Especially because from Cece's relationship with the liars, it is clear that they do miss Allison. Yeah. Like, Cece, like, whatever Mona may have said or not said, like, it just seems like Cece could, like, observe how they acted when they talked about Allison. Like, I, I don't feel like they were hiding anything from Cece regarding the fact that they all had complicated relationships with her, but, like, they clearly miss her at that point in the series. Yeah, I, I totally agree. God, we were all so innocent back in season three, weren't we? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> this episode weirdly, like for all of the things that it doesn't have, it has a number of like sweet Vandermeeren moments, which is kind of surprising. Um, also the like intense green screen of CC looking in at the liars from outside the brew as the scene <laughs> from season three plays out exactly as it was, uh, really quite something. Um, and then also, like, Cece petting the doll, like, taking the doll and, like, aggressively petting its hair is, like, quite a move. Um, so let's see. Then we pick up with Mona. Uh, or you already say Mona says that she doesn't remember. Oh, Did yeah. You... Mona said, yeah. And then yes. so now Charlotte, <laughs> now Charlotte was following the girls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Charlotte kept seeing a blonde in a red coat watching over the girls. And she thought that maybe it was Allie. And she knew that Allie would show up if she thought that the girls were in trouble. And so we go back to the end of season three, a.k.a. the Thornhill Lodge fire. And we get a reveal that Sarah Harvey was flying the plane. Is that what this episode is telling us? I, I still don't know if Cece flew the plane, if Duncan Albert flew the plane. But yes, the red coat who got off the plane was Sarah Harvey. A reveal that is convoluted, even here in the flashback. But like the dumb thing about this is that the this is the this is supposed to be the big reveal. This is the moment that we know yeah. for sure that Sarah Harvey is bad, and it happens in a flashback that no one cares about. Like the liars <laughs> don't get to see it even. <laughs> yes. And also, yes. like, why, why, like, the big reveal in this episode is the identity of A. So why did you reveal A at the top and then leave this, like, very anticlimactic hench reveal 
for this point. This is ludicrous. <laughs> like, literally, no one cares about Thornhill anymore, and for sure nobody cares about Sarah Harvey. And also, as we talked about when we described that episode, there were, like, 11 people in the woods that night. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be more surprised if Sarah Harvey wasn't there, honestly. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's, I feel like Sarah Harvey, when she's revealed as evil, all of her lines, she sort of hisses them like a snake. (laughs) Um, And and she's like, she's like, Mona thinks she's about to see you. She doesn't have a clue. And she like removes an alley mask to reveal her Sarah Harvey uh, face. Uh, And there's a lot of uh, upset about, oh my God, Sarah Harvey was the other red coat when Charlotte needed her to be. Sarah was supposed to distract Mona that night, but then Shauna showed up. So that's all said very quickly and vaguely. But, like, if Shauna had not been there, Shauna and Jenna, I guess, had not been there, what was it that Charlotte was hoping that Sarah Harvey would do with Mona? And how would Mona being distracted have helped? Was Charlotte planning on actually killing the liars? Like, she's like, it was the perfect plan. And I'm like... But what was it, though? Well, yes, I have that same note. Like, what was Charlotte planning to do? Just lock them in? That doesn't (laughs) seem super perilous to me that it would bring Allison running, but (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like, like, what was, like, okay, let's let's brainstorm some of Charlotte's possible plans. Okay. Okay. So it seems like it definitely did involve locking the liars in to Thornhill Lodge. Was she going to, like, lock them in and just, like, test how long it would be before the slumber party turned into an orgy? And then she was like, well, for sure, that'll bring Allison around. <laughs> like, was was that her plan? Um, Maybe she was going to test, like, how long it would be until they killed Toby. Oh, oh, good thought. Good thought. Um, or maybe there were like, like maybe there was like a James Bond style, like there was like an alligator pit that she was going to like yes, dangle yes. them elaborately over, and then like Shauna and Jenna came in and just set everything on fire, and it was like, <laughs> well, there goes, there goes my alligator pit. <laughs> yeah, now I'm now I've got this whole pit of dead alligators I have to kill. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Shauna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that's so funny about that is like. I remember when we talked about the Thornhill Lodge episode, one of the things that we talked about is like Mona is weirdly inconsequential here. Like Mona doesn't really seem very clued into the plan. She's not really doing anything. She's actually pretty powerless. And we were like, this is weird for Mona. So it's super weird that it's like, well, Sarah's whole job was to distract Mona. And the fact that Mona wasn't distracted screwed everything up. And it's like, but Mona didn't do anything. Like what? I don't know. I don't know what the point of that was. Also, Sarah was distracting Spencer, not Mona. We saw from the podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was like Sarah was supposed to have sex with Mona. I don't know. Like she didn't say what the modes of distraction were supposed to be. Uh, gosh, yes. So Emily in the uh, in the present is just sure that Charlotte must be lying about Sarah Stale Cracker's codependent girlfriend. Uh, and also the liars seem to have dropped the whole entire trying to get out of the spaceship ball once again. Um, back in the flashback, we see the liars comparing notes about who saw Allison, Mona, Hannah, Spencer. And Charlotte is like off in the bushes, like doing one of my favorite liar moves of like 
being in the bushes concealed by like two leaves. Like if anyone looked over at that bush, they would be like, look, there's Cece in a hoodie standing behind two leaves. But like, no, no one, no one looked over there, thankfully. Um, and like Charlotte is just so happy uh, because this means that Allison is alive. Although I'm just going to put it out there that Spencer at least must have seen Sarah, right? This whole Thornhill situation is a mess and a half. Like here in this super messy explanation episode to try to explain like a completely inexplicable disaster mess episode that you previously had, this retcon is not helping anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really, it's really bad. It's, it's, yeah, it does. It's, it's just making it all so much worse. Yeah. It's like, it's like if I stepped on your foot really hard and you were like, I think my foot is broken. And I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. Remember that time I ran over your foot with a car? <laughs> like, that's that's what it's doing. Yeah. See, now you can't be mad that I broke your foot because of that other time I broke your foot. See, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Two broken feet equals one not broken foot. That's how it works. Yeah. Everything's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So in the present day, Allie is asking Charlotte why she kept playing the game. Charlotte acknowledges that post New York, Sydney, where's the beef? Uh, was the perfect time to end it. She left the country thinking it was over. We have a very brief flashback of her, you know, in her uh, Vivian Darkbloom wig, leaving, uh, you know, going off to Grand Paris, which now we know is where she met Elliot Rollins, I think. Who's not Elliot Rollins. He's uh, British. Archer Dunhill. Thank you. Um, I prefer my name of uh, British evil dude. I think that's <laughs> that's probably what the script said. Uh, she says that the game is like a drug and she was really good at playing it and it felt good to be successful at something. Uh, then we have probably the most hilarious exchange of the episode when Allie calls Charlotte out for attacking her. She had to make Allie pay attention. Allie calls Charlotte out for almost freezing Ari and Spencer to death for driving a car through Emily's house. Yeah, and she almost cut her in half, too. Is anybody actually hurt? Is she hurt? Is her mommy hurt? Did they die, though? Uh, Charlotte only got mad when Allie wouldn't listen. Allie argues that you can't separate people from their families and play with them like dolls. But then Charlotte turns to the camera, addressing the liars directly, saying that she did, and she loves all of her dolls. That's why they're alive. It sucks to kill someone, she says, even when they deserve it. And uh, Allie guesses that she's referring to Wilden. We now flash back to Wilden's funeral. And uh, Charlotte says in voiceover that he never would have let Allie come back and tell her story. Uh, we see the liars watching Black Widow get into a town car. But now we see inside the town car is Charlotte in a black hoodie. And oh, who is Black Widow? It's Sarah. And she turns to Charlotte and snarls, Wilden's dead. <laughs> and Charlotte in present day addresses Emily and is like, sorry, Emily, but not really. And for some reason, this is the detail that like finally clicks it all into place for Emily Peel. <laughs> and she goes, oh, my God. <sighs> this... Oh, God. This is, like, the worst. This is, like, 
this is like red coat. Like that's just a coat. Like anybody can put on red coat. Like Black Widow was something that was supposed to have significance. Like it was like an enduring mystery of the series. Like who was that? What did it mean? Why were they there? Uh, and to like give that this like <laughs> this just like absolute like whoopee cushion raspberry noise of a reveal <laughs> that it was Sarah Harvey is just like a character who like we didn't even know like existed at the point that Black Widow like entered the scene like oh man this is just total trash. Um, and also a, a thing like of the many things that don't make sense here. First of all, this would be a great point to mention that Wilden was beach hottie because Charlotte cites as a reason for her murdering Wilden that Wilden was never going to let Allie come back and say what had happened that night, which like Allie doesn't know that Wilden was involved in it at all. So I don't know where that's coming from, but you could mention that he was beach hottie. That would like be a good place to finally resolve that mystery. But again, that's a mystery we're taking a pass on. Uh, but the point that does not make any sense in here is that at some point, Charlotte and Allison were in touch while Allison was on the run. Like, cause Allie says that Cece murdered Wilden for her. Cece for sure knew Allison was alive and was helping her why don't they ever talk or why don't we hear about at what point that they reconnected? Yeah, no, great point. Great point. It's also uh, like a thing that I find really infuriating about all of these reveals is how like all of the men on this show who have done awful things are like so far away from this episode and from this mystery, like Prezra, for example, who, as we know, like Prezra, and and Cece had a working relationship at one point. That's not brought up at all. Um, Ian, Wilden, like, they weirdly just, as you said, like, allude to the Beach Hottie mystery, but don't really go into it. Um, it's just, like, Garrett, you know, like, the whole NAT club, none of that comes into play. Surely Charlotte knew about that. Like, it is such a weird, it is such a weird choice and such a disappointing choice to, like, solely focus the you know the villainy here on you know this trans woman with like the footnote of like oh her dad sucked pretty hard you know but it's like <laughs> this whole episode is about charlotte and that like none of these awful dudes like they all completely get off the hook for everything yes yes um <clears throat> so this is a you know this is all a, a pretty serious trash fire wilden in this episode is basically like the forest gump of corrupt policing like yep. every time, every time there's a historical moment that you need uh, a corrupt police to be there for, he turns up like a bad penny uh, to take a bribe and to make something seem like what it isn't. Well, he's also like eternally like 25 years old. Like mm -hmm. in, you know, when Charlotte's a teenager, he's like, you know, presumably, I don't know, in his mid 20s. Like when this, you know, like he's just he never he never ages. He's never young. He's just he just popped out of the womb a fully formed creepy detective i mean cf our our crossover wilden could be a vampire that's all i'm saying there you go there you go <laughs> all right so um after emily becomes so upset she wants the screen turned off it's too upsetting to learn that stale crackers uh has betrayed them 
Uh, some of the liars think that Cece is messing with Emily, but Spencer points out, oh, maybe that's why the cops aren't <laughs> here yet. Um, Sarah never called them. Ooh. <clears throat> Emily dramatically pounds on the space door to no avail. Who do you think is out there? Sarah's evil. She's not here. Anyway, uh, Spencer realizes that one of the glass panels that the room is surrounded with is different than the others. Uh, the lights are blinking constantly, not in a random pattern. Uh, this leads to a delightful moment. Like, I actually forgot that this was coming because I was so wrapped up in how bad the episode was. Uh, but it leads to Mona, the Vander Jesus, breaking out her weaponized secret spike heel to break the glass and let the liars get out of here. Um, love it. Love this for Mona. Love weaponized fashion for her in general. Uh, the liars all like escape past the secret door that she has revealed. But Mona does not follow them. Uh, Hannah turns around and asks like Mona as if, you know, Mona, are you coming? Mona says she needs to stay and see how the story ends. She tells Hannah to be careful. And Hannah says, we will. Then Mona turns the screen back on and she takes off her cape as it's getting hot in here with all of the unspoken Vandermeeren sexual tension. Yeah, I took the note that I think like Mona maybe starts masturbating here because like... <laughs> This, this, I mean, this is just so much for her. Like, she's had this sweet moment with Hannah. She got to break the liars out. She's like, getting to hear the story of A playing out. She's getting to, like, learn about the power of, like, her influence in Charlotte's story. Like, this is a good I mean, night for Mona. We don't know what's in her other heel. That is not, that is not revealed. We, we have no clue. We have no clue what is in her other heel. She takes off the cape. I mean, come on. She, I'm just saying, she has a lot of material, you know? She's a lot of material that she might find helpful here. Um, I do really like, though, the moment where the lot of, like, after the, you know, Sarah is evil reveal, and the other liars kind of have this reaction of, like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, like, like my note with Clark, if any of the liars had bothered trying to get to know Emily's, like, milk toast new girlfriend uh who again like we've talked about this before but like remember how sarah was supposed to be like allison take two like what if they had had her look like allison and act like old allison and emily was becoming enraptured with like bizarro allison that would have been so interesting and nothing about this was that really could be just like the tagline for this half season that could have been so interesting and nothing about this was <laughs> Um, so Charlotte explains that she was going to go say goodbye to Jessica, but when she got there, Jessica was dead, just like laid out on the ground, a corpse that nobody was, you know, going to deal with. And this flashback is really devastating. Charlotte is like weeping and, you know, crying and crying for calling Jessica mommy, mommy, don't leave me here, mommy, no, no, no. Again, some really solid Vanessa Ray acting here. Um, and then I guess presumably Charlotte buried her like Charlotte found the body and buried her and then as we know the dog dug her up uh in the present Charlotte says that Jessica was the only person who ever really loved her before Allie can contradict that an alarm sounds and suddenly the liars are at Radley in the hallway 
Like, yeah. At, at first, I was like, "Oh, maybe the banquet hall where prom was was like right next to Radley." But actually, the liars were at the Karasimi Group. So yeah. either, um, like, either the Karasimi Group is located two minutes away from Radley, or it has a teleportation chamber. Yeah, I guess, and and presumably, like the cops, Toby, Clark, like they're all just, you know, sitting around doing playing cards or something like we don't know you know yeah unwork eating donuts eating donuts yeah for sure for sure um so they come down the hallway at radley and there sarah harvey is in the red coat still messing with the mom i think it's actually even the same shot as earlier Um, she just turns and is like get out of here Mm -hmm. uh and yells at them to get out uh inside the uh inside the room with charlotte and Allie. This little, like, device that it's, like, a, a thing that you press with your thumb. It's, like, a little beeper thing. It starts beeping. They both reach for it, but Charlotte gets it first. Allie begs her not to do this. Charlotte presses a button. There's kind of, I I, I kind of liked the moment where Allie, like, you know, wraps her arms around her head like she's ducking for cover. But then nothing happens, and Charlotte says, damn it. <laughs> like, all right. So we have, like, the command spaceship center where the liars have been sequestered for this whole episode. <clears throat> and that's all like fancy, fancy, high-tech CGI. And then you have this suitcase bomb that Sarah Harvey is working with, which looks like it was assembled by the props department in about two minutes, like in their car on the way to work. It's like an office phone from the early aughts taped to a couple of small strobe lights. Uh, And then this detonator thing that CC has is like a small purse flashlight or like maybe like a a one pound pocket weight that you would have while exercising with like a translucent thermos top on top of it with like a small red button. This whole this whole bomb situation is really bombing out. Yeah, it's it's uh, this is the the anticlimactic climax here. Well, yeah, and does anyone believe, like, does anyone believe that this bomb was ever going to go off? Like, this is, like, such a ridiculous stakes, especially since we've never seen Sarah Harvey be competent about anything. Um, Expecting her to, like, detonate this just doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to go well. So downstairs, we see that Spencer has disarmed the bomb because, of course, of course she did. Uh, meanwhile, the others have, um, well, they're kind of standing around in a rough semicircle, uh, you know, with their arms crossed around Sarah Harvey, telling her not to even think about it. Uh, Allison rushes in to declare, she's headed for the roof. Please help me. Sarah runs. The liars run. Emily says, hey, Sarah says, I tried to keep you safe. Emily has, like, a hold of Sarah's red hood. And then Emily cold cocks her. And thus endeth the lackluster love affair of the stale sleeve of crackers. But when one door closes, a window opens. And thus beginneth the saga of does Sarah Harvey have (laughs) So the writers giveth and the writers take away. Most they take away. So this episode, like, obviously is problematic in a lot of ways. 
the fact that like this is clearly a moment when we're meant to be cheering at the fact that a woman is getting punched in the face is like yet another moment where I'm like show show really because this is clearly supposed to be like a yeah Emily you go get her and like I remember this was like a gift that was going around people were very excited about it and like it's a woman getting punched in the face by her partner no less like it's it's not great also this is like this is absolutely a precursor to the eventual end of Sarah Harvey like the writers set this up and they're like ho 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 everyone hates this character and now she's gonna get punched in the face and it's like well, whose fault is it that we have been bored to tears by this character all season long? It is yours. Look in the mirror. Look, come on. And then at the end, when they when they kill her off in the shower, and they're like, ha, 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 all we know about her is that she likes showers. And it's like, well, who never gave her anything else? Me, <laughs> the writers. Like, oh, my gosh. Yes. you. All you gave her was showers. <laughs> Um, so now we find ourselves back where we began. Uh, this time we have the addition of Allie yelling, Charlotte, please don't do this, as Charlotte stands on the edge of the roof. The liars, you know, yelling for her to come down. We get a little, another little Barry Maple moment, which I wasn't sad to see Barry Maple a second time. Uh, but then Charlotte turns around. She jumps down. She, like, takes off the A face shield, uh, revealing her her Charlotte face. And she says, game over. And she says it in the way that, like, a kid admitting to taking an extra cookie from the cookie jar might say it, like, darn, guess I'm caught. Guess I got to be sent to my room. And it's like, Charlotte, you revealed yourself. Like, I don't really get, I don't really get the, I don't really get why this is the point at which she is choosing to end the game like I I think this all of this if Charlotte is going to be the one to reveal herself if she is like planning this um you know potential like murder suicide that eventually is maybe just going to turn into a a old-fashioned suicide like we need to know why it's happening now and I know that like the narrative that the show has been telling us is like, oh, the Rosewood PD is closing in. But it's like the Rosewood PD is only closing in because like Charlotte has been leading them to her. Like she's been dropping breadcrumbs this whole time. Um, and also the Rosewood PD is idiots. Like they're idiots. Like they just as easily could think like this is Reese or this is, you know, somebody else. So like, why is it that Charlotte is choosing now to end the game? It's so like, do you have any thoughts on that? No, it's they don't give us any reason. And yeah. even this like situation where like, oh no, the police are surrounding the building. Like A has gotten out of much trickier situations than this in the past. Like yeah. if if A can't outsmart like a few carful, you know, of, of Rosewood police, like what on earth are we doing here? Um, <laughs> so like one choice that I think would be really interesting is if the liars let Charlotte go. Like that, yeah. that could be like having some really interesting repercussions and just acting like, yeah, we don't know. We, we don't know who it was. Like we, we never saw their face. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. And it would be actually a really interesting reveal or a reversal of at the beginning of the season, Aria lying that she had seen Andrew's face. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and plus like, I, I mean, even the idea that like Charlotte revealed herself now because the police were closing in, like there's no reason that she couldn't have pinned it 
on Reese. There's no reason that she couldn't have pinned it on Jason. Like, it just seems like there are so many other options floating around. Uh, and, and like, they just go with this weird one of like, well, Charlotte is going to reveal herself now because it's the last episode of the half season. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I, the real reason. Yeah, she saw the episode count. Um, yeah, the, the Mona reveal, like, part of what's so great about that is, like, it's clear that she was trying to pin it on Melissa, and it's, like, the end game of what's going on there, like, it's clear that Mona, there was a part of Mona that was thinking about giving up the game and becoming the fifth liar, like, that's why everything goes down when it does, and then, you know, she tries to get Spencer to join the A-team, and Spencer, you know, like, all of that makes a certain amount of sense. I think another interesting twist could have been if they let, um if they let Charlotte go and they said that Kenneth was a, and Kenneth yeah. went on for Charlotte's crimes, which he essentially like fostered in her, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or they like rightly revealed that Ken murdered Jessica and then Ken went down for that. Like, yeah, that would be another, that would be another way to do it. Um, or, and I, I like this idea too. Like if we hadn't revealed everything to the liars in this episode, like if the liars had just been like trying to figure it out, not figuring it out. Like if it were like every other episode ever where the liars are like chasing their tails. Uh, but Allison got to hear the whole story from Charlotte. And then by the time the liars get here, Allison and Charlotte are gone. And we don't know whether Allison's been kidnapped or whether yeah. Allison is going to join Charlotte in her quest like right I think that would have and like the whole thing with this like I like Charlotte being a if Charlotte is not trans like and I like Charlotte being trans and being Allie's sister if she's not a I just feel like they can't they can't do both of them and reveal both of them at the same time like this without like it being like devastatingly harmful Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't have all of it at once. Yeah. 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 Bad choice. Yeah. Bad choice. Uh, you know what? Do you want this nice, this nice sunny houses scene that's coming next? No, you know what? You take the sunny houses scene and because I, I'll have, uh, I'll have plenty to say in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So we get a blur of sunny houses from above. The screen now tells us that it's Labor Day weekend. Hannah is asking Emily if she packed enough flip-flops, and Emily tells her it's Malibu. Uh, we see that the bumper sticker on Emily's car says Pepperdine University. Uh, Spencer, who is clearly about to start a very queer college adventure, is wearing <laughs> a gray and blue raglan under overalls with one strap already hanging down, just to make it that much easier for the women uh, on her floor uh, who she's going to be meeting and, you know, playing field hockey with, etc. cetera. Um, anyway, uh, about to be queer Spencer tells Aria that she better not come back from Savannah talking like a Southerner. You hear? Fake Southern accents, of course, being Spencer's purview. Um, <laughs> Aria, who's wearing a print of wild palm fronds in a belly-bearing way uh, and wearing earrings that are chandeliers of a triangle, a circle, and a diamond, says that Spencer better not come back from Georgetown talking like a politician. Allison is looking happy and serving some serious vibes as she looks at Emily here. Emily, ever the wettest blanket, says she heard Sarah was released from the hospital today. 
Allison kind of firmly says what happened to Sarah that night wasn't their fault, but Spencer doubts Sarah sees it that way. Aria, who like me doesn't care at all about Sarah, can't believe they're actually all leaving. Hannah didn't expect saying goodbye to be quite this hard. Spencer says a great line, how lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Emily asks what brilliant scholars said that, and Spencer answers Winnie the Pooh. Everyone laughs. Allison rests her head on Emily's shoulder. Don't at me, I've clawed my way to the end of this episode, and I need to cling to this ramshackle Emerson raft, which is all that is left of my favorite ship. <laughs> Everyone laughs, everyone hugs. Emerson is holding hands. Everyone, Emerson is holding hands. Alert, alert, we have queer hand-holding. Em asks if Allie is going to be okay, and Allison proclaims yes. After spending her whole life wanting to get away from here, now it's the only place that she wants to be. Sparia, also canoodling, look on. Everyone says they love each other. Emily and Allison first. Uh, and Spencer says, bye, Hannah Banana. This is a truly deep love that Hannah does not bristle with a natural annoyance of anyone whose name rhymes with banana likely feels at this endearment. <laughs> hugs, <laughs> hugs, tears. Uh, we get a really nice moment of Allison and Spencer embracing. Allison tells everyone to drive safe. Everyone starts their cars and they drive off to their new adventures leaving Allison behind, standing in front of her old house where she was once buried in the yard. This was another moment, like, in addition to me thinking that Ian was in this episode as the yearbook photographer, I specifically thought I remembered a shot from above of all the cars driving off in different directions, but then it wasn't here. So I don't know if there, like, were more, like, scenes from this episode or just, like, shots that got cut for time. Um, or if my memory was just like playing tricks on me and wanted me to make me think that I like liked more parts of this than I did. <laughs> Could be either. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is a really sweet moment. It is super weird after the like 40 minutes of episode that we just had <laughs> that we suddenly get this. And it's it a big shift in tone. <laughs> it's a big shift in tone. It also makes it so clear how they were like, they wanted to write the end of the Charlotte reveal in a way that like, just closed that storyline down like they did not want a lot of tendrils coming into the time jump um which you know on the one hand i understand but it's like not none of the new stuff that they came up with was like so great that you know it it justified this um i do yes i love all the goodbyes i love that like after being in the you know the weird sterile spaceship room and all of them being in their formal wear like we get this like sunny hued you know shot these shots of them outside and and you know all of them like dressed all so much like each other i love that the boyfriends are not here i think it's kind of weird that they're all driving off to college by themselves but whatever um but um yeah i just i think this is really lovely also according to the closed captions not only does spencer call hannah hannah banana she also calls her baby so i just <laughs> you know what we are clinging to the scrap Emerson and Santa. Here at the end, we will take everything we can get, people. It has been a rough night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, I had the same note that like Spencer makes sure to get some accent work in here in this last moment. Like you cannot <laughs> resist. Uh, yeah, this is a great scene. I really like it. But then cut to five years later and there is a gas leak. Except we don't know that it's a gas leak. <laughs> no, we think we're watching a preview for a much better show. <laughs> yeah, we think we're watching a preview for, I don't know what this is, but it's not what we end up with. Um we sort of like drift lazily through the halls of uh, of of Rosewood High. We go into a classroom, and Allison is standing at a blackboard. She's a uh, you know dressed older. She's got um her her hair looks maybe a little bit longer. She's wearing a blue blazer. She's got like some good eyeliner on, and she's writing on the board, Mrs. Rollins. Just then, in rushes Aria with lighter hair and a you know typically wacky outfit, saying that. He's coming for her. The rest of the liars quickly follow. I was reminded in this scene of like how good Emily looks in the time jump. I was like, oh, okay. I remember the way that they style her. Like the messy hair, the white shirts, the leather pants. Like, okay, at least we have something to look forward to. <laughs> uh, that that um, enjoyment was like quickly dashed away by Spencer's bad bangs. Right? <laughs> right? Um but, like, they all have these kind of, uh, and then, like, uh, Hannah in a long blonde wig that looks very much like a wig. Um, yeah, they all have, like, a bunch of quick lines about, like, and, like, we all came back here for you, Allie. We, you got to move it. And then Spencer comes in and says, it's too late. He's here. Um, none of this matters. This is a ghastly dream. <laughs> Allison and Emily are asleep in the De Laurentiis house. And scene. That Oof. is. Game over, dead name. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> I am glad it's over. I'm glad it's over. So I have I have some 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 talking points that I'd like us to to discuss. Absolutely. Does A need to be a sympathetic villain? Um, I I don't think that they do really. Um, I think that. I think that it helps because the show, like what the show doesn't ever want is to make it seem like it was all random or like it was all just sadistic. So like they give, yeah. you know, you, you kind of understand where Mona came from on this and you kind of like understand, but I, I don't think that a is, is required to be sympathetic. Um, but I think that the show always tries to, to do that like and it's weird the way the show does it because a lot of that winds up shading the liars as to blame for their own misfortunes well so kind of my follow-up question to that is like how does charlotte being a reframe some of the liars torment because we've talked about how like you know a sometimes functions as like the male gaze and you know um fatal danger to the liars and all of this but in this episode it's like no, A is not a man. Uh, a never wanted to kill the liars. A loved Allison. The dollhouse was just Charlotte playing with her dolls. Like this episode does not acknowledge the dollhouse at all, which I think is really something. Um, how does Charlotte being A reframe things? Uh, I think it makes everything much worse. Like having Charlotte be trans and be A makes everything much worse, especially the dollhouse because the dollhouse as constructed was like, it was like the end game of the male gaze. It was like, yeah. it was like a man wanting to like 
take these women and control them to the, the point that like they didn't have any agency anymore. And that's like the end point of like a lot of things that are like constantly going on in the modern world. Um, but the way that it's now Charlotte who did this, the way that Charlotte is a trans character, the way that like there, there was this like freak out from Kenneth of, of you know, having this, this child who he felt was of a gender who should not play with dolls, who should not want to have a tea party, who should not want to wear a dress. And like, establishing that as like well then this is what comes of it like then when they're grown they're going to make a big underground bunker and kidnap people to be their dolls and that's just how it happens like that is no good and also i just feel like the dollhouse itself is like structured it, it's structured so much as a male fantasy that i feel like having charlotte be there and then having that be like the start of the dead name arc it's like, it's not, like, like I said before, it's making Charlotte the facade and saying that, like, Charlotte is still dead name underneath, which I feel yeah. like is just, like, hugely, hugely, hugely problematic. It almost ends up feeling like a turf argument, you know? Like, yes! This is what trans women will do. They will, yes! you know, they will force cis women to perform femininity in this way, and they're, you know, it, it feels... Um, yeah, it it ends up feeling like a, you know, like this, like this is the inevitable conclusion of a trans person in this way mm -hmm. that I think is like so harmful. Yeah, and it, like I think it's harmful on on multiple levels. It's harmful to the character of Charlotte and to like the idea of this trans character. It's also harmful to the liars because it's like it it makes it sort of like reframes and in some ways sort of reduces the impact of that trauma in a way that I think is really weird like and really like like it doesn't it's not fair to either character like the Charlotte character or the liar characters or Mona well yes and it's also still very like I mean this doesn't really explain anything like why did Charlotte want Allison to go to prison was it because she didn't want Allison to go away again? Like, why couldn't she have just kidnapped Allison and put her in the dollhouse? Like, none of that, like, none of that is explained. None of that is even, like, nodded to. Uh, and just generally, like, why she would still be angry with the liars once Allison is back seems bonkers. Why did she hate Mona so much? Yeah. Like, why did, why did she turn on Mona? You know, like, why, like, Charlotte as A, like, tortured Mona really specifically. Why? We don't know. All she says in this episode is like, oh, Mona had some cool stories. Um, <laughs> so there were sort of three scenarios that I thought about of, like, different ways that this story could have been structured. Like, with, like, a, 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 a change here or there. One would be that Cece... Is, is still Charlotte. She is still a Los De Laurentiis, but is not trans, but is still A. Uh, one is that A is um, a male lost De Laurentiis that we do know, like Toby, Prezra, or Lucas. Uh, one is that CC slash Charlotte is still trans, but is not A. Like she's been working for a big A, or she's actually been working to try to like, you know, turn A or you know, double agent or something like that. Do you think 
that any of those scenarios would have worked slash is there one of those that you would have preferred? Yeah, I think that any of those scenarios could have worked. Um, I like I like all of them. I like the idea of Cece uh, being Allison's sister uh, and being trans and being like someone who is helping the liars. I think that that would be fantastic. Um, the liars have been wrong about who A was before. So I think you could still go through all of this like, oh, yeah, we thought it was this lost De Laurentiis, but now the lost De Laurentiis isn't who we thought it was, and they're on our side. Like, yeah. what would be wrong with that? Like, just that you felt like the timeline was running out and you needed to give some answers, uh, so you made a bad choice. But I think any of them would have been okay. And I also think that, like, having this reveal be another one that gets walked back, like all the other reveals do, also could have been better. Um, but no, we don't. we don't ever get that. True, true. Um, second, or another question, could Charlotte have been rehabilitated at this point if they had not killed off the character? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, like, the next season could have easily been about, like, and it could have been kind of beautiful in a way, I think, of, like, the liar's relationship with Charlotte. Um, but, no. yeah. I I definitely agree. And I think, actually, when the show was getting criticized so heavily... For this reveal, uh, I think that, like, if they really wanted to course correct, they could have done it. Like, and the way to do that would be to have Charlotte be a main character, to have her be a force for good, and to make her an actual human character. Yeah. I think I think could have gone a really long way. I totally agree. Um, final question. If this season had played out basically as it has played out, but this episode had chosen a different character to be a slash dead name. Who would you have chosen? Oh my gosh. I would have chosen anyone. I would have chosen anyone who was not, I would have chosen any reveal that was not this reveal. Um, I think that they could have brought a character back from the dead. I think it could have been Wilden. I think it could have been Ian. Um, Ian in particular, like, you know, all like all like messed up face from getting shot and like you know injured from his fall from the bell tower like Ian is like a hunchback character um I think that could have had like some interesting potential Ren like if you're gonna be if you're gonna pick someone who hasn't been on the show in forever I think that Ren uh would have been interesting um I think that Melissa always always a solid solid suspect um Bethany Young like if we're gonna pick somebody that nobody cares about um you know have her be alive and have it be her I I think that really like almost anyone would have been better um the like Jenna always an excellent choice mm-hmm. um there are just so many people that they could have picked um that just like like the only less like people who would have been less satisfying as a reveal, although like also less harmful. I feel like Leslie Stone would have been a pretty unsatisfying reveal. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like uh, Sydney would have been a pretty unsatisfying reveal. But other than that, yeah. I would take anyone. I would have really hated if they had had Mona double cross oh. them again. Like first yeah. of all, that would have been dumb to have it be oh it's Mona again. But also just I I I don't. I don't like that as an arc for her character. Um, I think even though I I made a comment about not wanting him to do the villain monologue, I actually think Toby 
would be my choice. I think that he, there's been so much focus on the goodness of the ro- of him as this valiant cop this whole season that him actually being um having been, you know, double crossing the liars this whole time and like if it was like a Toby Caleb team up, co- to- if it was all the boyfriends, they never would have done this. But if it was all the boyfriends, I would have loved that. I also actually think Ken would have been a pretty interesting reveal because like a lot of this season has been sort of the the controlling nature of Ken and the idea that he would have, you know, wanted to keep his precious daughter and her friends in this dollhouse. Like, I think that that tracks in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I will definitely give you that. Um, I'm also going to go with a, a darker horse candidate here. And I'm going to say that Tanner would have been a really fun choice sure. as A, because that's someone who has been antagonistic to the liars from the go. Uh, yeah. And so I feel like that, and, and has like antagonized them quite a bit. They were kidnapped from a police van. Um, you know, this is, this is someone who is like, you know, made it a pretty significant part of their agenda uh, to distrust the liars. So I think that that also could have been, um, could have been pretty interesting. I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, those are the ends of, that's the end of my questions. Anything else you want to add? No. <laughs> I feel like we, I, this, this episode, um, it was worse. It was worse than I remembered it. And this whole half season, uh, just the way that the show really put all of their chips on the misgendering plot reveal, uh, it's been, it's, it's been rough to go through. Um, and, and like knowing that like what's up ahead is the time jump, which has like a lot of issues of its own. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I do feel like this episode is like, it, it shows us what we're eventually going to get with the final reveal where the, the final Uber a is a character we've never known existed until that episode because they're like testing that out here like sarah harvey is the trial balloon for like oh all that stuff ha <laughs> it was someone you didn't even know about lol yeah exactly exactly um yeah i i i agree it's also going to be interesting like not only watching knowing what's to come but like when we eventually get to the end of season seven it'll probably be you know we'll we'll get there the 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 distance of time between when we talked about this episode and when we talk about that episode will be less than it was in real time. Oh, and yeah. I think that that will be an interesting experience yeah. um, just to have this fresher in our mind by the time we get to that episode. Um, so thus concludes our coverage of PLL in the year 2021. <laughs> What a way to go. What a way to 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 end the year. But you know, it's like, okay, we're we're sort of I mean, this is as bad as as what's to come is. This I think is is the worst. At least there will be like some new stuff to talk about, mm-hmm. you know? Um I I'm not I won't say I'm optimistic about the time jump, but I would say I'm curious about the time jump uh, and what that's going to be like to talk about. Um what go ahead. I'm so surprised to hear you say that because we've talked so much tonight about Charlotte's character. And then we know that what, like they go through all of this to, to give you like, you know, they tried to cast her as a sympathetic villain, the liars understand, et cetera, et cetera. Don't jump. And then what does the show do to kick off the time jump? 
is they they kill Charlotte. And then what do they do at the end of the show? They're like, well, Charlotte basically had to be killed because she was just going to, she was unrepentant. She was just going to start everything up all over again. So it's just like, yeah, yeah I get it. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not looking forward to all of that. I guess I'm curious more about the liars arc. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm interested to talk about that. And, like, Spalub, I'm really excited to talk about oh, Spalub. that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to go in with a little bit of optimism. I, I, I understand. I understand. Well, if you have listened all the way to the end of this episode, and if you have listened to us, like, all the way to the end of 6A, Thank you so much. We appreciate you going on uh, this this epic journey with us. We really do. We've gotten some really sweet messages over the last couple of weeks of people like, you know, talking about us, you know, on their Spotify wrapped and all of that. And that is like so, so sweet. Um, we 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 love doing this show, even if even though we've been very mad in this episode tonight, we love talking about this show. We We love hearing from folks. Um, and it's, you know, there is a real catharsis in, in talking about the bad stuff, even though it is, you know, challenging and, 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 uh, yeah, it's, this has been a particularly dark, (laughs) maybe fitting for the year 2021, dark section of episodes to talk about. So thank you for sticking with us. We wouldn't get so mad about these episodes if we didn't love this show so much and believe yes. like with all of our hearts that it could, it deserved better. It deserved to be better and do better. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the characters deserve better. And I just want to say like, you know, like Charlotte De Laurentiis was, had the promise to be something so much greater than she ended up being. And again, like, you know, final hats off to Vanessa Ray for like doing what she could, I think, to bring this character to life amidst like all of this really um, harmful stuff around her, you know, Uh, somehow like the vibrance of Charlotte does manage to kind of shine through a little bit, which I do think is like, a testament to the core of like the character and the core of this performance, uh, even though so much about it all is, is so challenging. So if you have stuck through with, with us through all of this and uh, have thoughts on this episode, have thoughts on this season, uh, we would love to hear from you. You can of course send us an email at everybody, at gmail.com. You can send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. You can also check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast. Um, we are going to be back in a year that sounds totally made up, 2022. Uh, we will take next week off, but we'll um, we'll have some some bonus content for all of you out there before we dive into the <laughs> to the muck that is the time jump. So, uh, anything else we want to say before we sign off for the year? No, have a wonderful holiday season. I hope everyone has a safe and healthy new year. Yes, absolutely. For all of us. Uh, Yes. Until next time. Take care.